You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about simplifying and simplicity, but first let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's new with you? I wanted to talk about how good our weekends have been feeling lately, Mm -hmm. which hasn't always been the case, but it's just felt so much easier and fun that we're able to be productive, get things done, read books, have kids play independently, attend events, and it doesn't feel overwhelming in a way that it used to. That sounds amazing (laughs) and aspirational for my own life. (laughs) Although I will say at the end of this excellent weekend that we recently had, there was also a power outage in our neighborhood. Mm. So I was feeling awesome because I had already prepped dinner and had almost everything done, which was good because we have an electric stove and the Instant Pot obviously runs on electricity (laughs) and would have been really sad if we could not have had dinner. And then it was kind of a fun adventure because we broke out old glow sticks from the previous Halloween nice. and lit candles because it's getting dark really early now. Mm-hmm. And the kids thought it was really fun. And we're hanging glow sticks everywhere. They had trouble going to sleep. So that was not the most fun part of it because mm. both of them like to have a closet light on. Oh, okay. And that was not possible. But they eventually did fall asleep. And Neil and I got to enjoy a dice game by candlelight. Oh, so fun. What has been happening with you? We have moths. That sounds terrible. Tell me more. They're the little small pantry moths that like to eat rice and flour stuff. Yeah. I discovered them maybe a few weeks ago, which I probably should have been paying attention sooner, but sometimes things are just not prioritized like that in my life. Mm -hmm. But my brain finally caught up having seen enough of them to be like, oh, this is disgusting. Then I threw away a bunch of food that had clearly been mothed, you know, things that were not already in glass jars. Mm -hmm. And then I took everything out of there, sprayed it with vinegar and water, cleaned it really well, found all the little cocoons, Mm -hmm. killed all the adult moths that I can find. But clearly I did not get them all because they're still here. I just ordered traps from Amazon today that had really good reviews. It's just like a simple like sticky trap that has something that attracts them into it. I'm hopeful that that will get the last of them because it's been much better. Like I haven't seen any cocoons, but they're still adults. So they're coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gross to have bugs in your house, number one. But number two, I'm like, I'm just such a terrible housekeeper <laughs> that like, <laughs> this is why this is happening. So I'll be glad when um, we get that problem under control. Absolutely. I remember when I was a teenager, my sister sold these chocolate bars that had the rice pieces inside them, like the crunch type bars for her Girl Scout troop. Mm -hmm. But she didn't actually sell most of them and they were in her (laughs) closet and these moths got in there and it was a long time before it was discovered. And this was during a time where we were often at odds as teenagers fairly close in age in the house. And I remember the night where it was discovered and then she was having to clean it out. She also hates bugs. There was so much shrieking. (laughs) And I remember in my self-centered adolescence feeling like she was doing that just to torture me, even though she was having this really horrible experience because it was keeping me up at night. And also, I think to this day, my mom still keeps almost all the stuff in plastic or in the fridge Mm -hmm. that can have those moths because it was such a bad experience in our family. Yeah. Best of luck in your extermination efforts. Thank you. (laughs) Let's talk now about what we've been reading. 
Tara, what's your latest read? I finished How to Be a Happier Parent by KJ Delantonia. She has run the Motherload blog at the New York Times and also has her own podcast with Jess Leahy, another author called Hashtag writing. In this book, she did a big survey of parents to find out what the biggest frustrations and pinch points of parenting were for mm. people. Mm-hmm. And then she organized the book by what came up. So it's organized by issue, if that makes sense. Cool. Things like mornings, chores, homework, discipline, which makes it really nice because you can flip through it how it suits you and what you want to read about. Yeah. I just read it straight through, but it would be really easy to pick up and just read the homework chapter and set down. I loved her conversational tone. Parenting books can be so tricky to get right because it's really easy to veer into the judgmental and telling people what to do (laughs) and acting superior. But she came across as really relatable and humble and felt like she's right there alongside you in these issues and trying to muddle through in the best way she knows how, which made it feel really encouraging. Nice. I came away from reading it with some good ideas and just generally inspired to make changes. And most of those are mental shifts in my own attitude. Mm -hmm. One of the ones I've been thinking about most is that you can be happy when your kids are not. Nice one. And just not letting yourself get sucked in when they're in a bad mood or having a really hard time. So good. We find that most often getting ready to get out the door and also immediately coming home after school can be challenging times in our household. Yeah. And just thinking they can be in a bad mood. I don't have to be. Such a nice shift. Yes. I think it has made me a happier parent, as the title suggests. (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend it for any parent who's looking for some inspiration and the opportunity to think through these different areas of their family life. Sounds like a good one for me, too. What have you been reading? I recently finished Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. This is a fantasy fiction novel set in a world inspired by the author's West African heritage. There were a lot of things that I liked about it. So the world building is really fascinating. I cared a lot about the characters and what happened to them. And really the way that she deals with magic in the world she creates is interesting because there are these aspects of inheritance, which I think comes up a lot in fantasy fiction when you're talking about magic, that it can be inherited. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a magical structure with different folks able to do different kinds of magic and having different abilities. Hmm. Along with that comes some social commentary woven in about how society is structured and about class, and about different types of people that didn't feel heavy-handed, but was really nice, and that I really appreciated, and I could also see being really good for a YA audience, which is who this is aimed at. Yeah, interesting. I will say that it was very bloody and violent, which is hard to read, I think. Not as hard to read as to watch, but it was fairly graphic. I also find really graphic things not that interesting. That those aren't the parts that I find engaging as a reader, but that you have to get through them to continue the story. Yes, I'm with you on that, that they can kind of feel like a detour almost from the character development and the story. Mm -hmm. Huge amounts of blood and gore. And that's kind of how I felt while reading it. But then in her author's note at the end, she talks about that for her, the blood of the character spilling is like the blood of young black people dying at the hands of law enforcement in the U.S. Mm. And so that gave it so much more weight and meaning Mm -hmm. and made it much more purposeful and added to sort of those social commentary aspects and threads that were coming in already. 
that's the kind of information that I would find to be helpful going into the book, Mm -hmm. because I do think it changes the way you see what you're reading in a way that adds depth to it, that it sounds like you were doing retroactively. Yeah. And it's a quick enough read that it's not like you've dedicated all this time to it and you're like, oh, it's just blood and gore. Right. It was relatively easy for me to think about it retroactively. And the other thing is that it's the first book of a series. I'm not sure how many she's intending to write. Okay. But this one ends in a cliffhanger. And so I feel inspired now knowing that that's the mindset of this author Mm -hmm. to read the rest of them and also to figure out what happens. Yeah. So I would recommend it if lots of blood and violence doesn't bother you or if knowing that larger perspective from the author is helpful. Today we're going to talk about simplifying. We thought this topic would be perfect because we are in the holiday season now and it is easy to get caught up in things that are not simple. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. So let's just talk first about what simplicity means for us. Thinking about this question, I was trying to tease out what the difference is between simplicity and minimalism, because they do feel really different. And I think for me, simplicity is a broader umbrella under which minimalism is one piece. Mm. And also things like frugality would fall in there for me. Nice. I think about it as getting rid of the non-essential in terms of stuff, systems, and schedules. So it's much more encompassing of your whole life as opposed to just your physical possessions. How do you think about it? I agree with a lot of what you said. I like this idea of simplicity being a framework about which you can think about these other ideas that might help your life be simpler or more easeful. For me, it's really about being intentional about either adding things to my life or taking things out. Mm. So like you said, it definitely applies to stuff, though really for me, stuff and minimalism feel much more connected, like you said. Mm -hmm. But then also scheduling and my relationships, even media that I take in, I think about when I think about simplifying. I love that part of it, too. I hadn't considered that, but should. So thinking back over your life, are there any turning points where you craved more simplicity? I think becoming a parent was the biggest catalyst for wanting a more simple life. Life with young children feels so chaotic, and simplifying has made me feel like I have some control over my environment and my life. Mm -hmm. When HP was about two, we downsized to a smaller house in Austin, and that coincided with me reading a lot of books about minimalism and simplicity. Mm -hmm. So I see that as being where it really kicked off for me as being what I consider to be one of our family's values. The act of downsizing was in an effort to simplify our lives, to simplify Neil's commute, and also making it easier for me to walk places with two kids, which wasn't really possible from our other place. Right. And then because we moved to a smaller house, that limited physical space made it feel even more necessary to go through that process. So it was inspired by simplicity and then created more (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because our physical environment required it. And that's one thing that I love about simplifying is when you work on it in one aspect of your life, it really highlights all of the other things in other aspects and areas that are not simple. And so in that way, it can be really self-reinforcing. I find that to be really true, that doing a little bit makes me want to do more and more because it feels so good. It feels amazing. (laughs) 
And since then, we've moved several more times. And the act of moving is also great for having a fresh slate, a chance to reevaluate all the things, where you want to be living, what kind of house you want to be living in, what kind of stuff you want to bring into that space, what kind of routines you want your family to have in that space. Now we don't have a move in the foreseeable future. And in some ways, I miss that because I really like the process that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Not the process of moving, but all the other things. (laughs) (laughs) On a seasonal basis, I find that this is the time of the year that I get inspired Mm -hmm. because I know going into the holidays, there's going to be more stuff coming into our house. There's going to be decorations out around our space. And I don't want to feel overwhelmed before that even happens. Mm -hmm. I want to feel that we have space to welcome that so that it doesn't feel stressful. The other time I find myself particularly inspired is in the depths of winter. (laughs) Yeah. And this is related more to minimalism and our physical stuff. But being inside and picking up small toys just pushes me over the edge. (laughs) So all the toys with all the little pieces just become banned and go into a closet until further notice or until I become really desperate for an activity (laughs) that we need. (laughs) But I can't handle all the things in our house in the wintertime. Yeah. What have been the moments of inspiration for your family in terms of simplicity? In some ways, I think Andrew and I have always craved simplicity and ease in the setup of our lives. So we've talked about this before, but he and I prefer to live in a smaller house close to where we need to be for work. We've had just one car for a long time that we really use maybe once a week. I've regularly gone through periods of time where I have an empty room somewhere in my house because I just sell all the furniture that's in there and I like to leave it with nothing. (laughs) There is something about having the physical space that feels really nice to me. And I think that also can be analogous to having that kind of space in our lives in general. So in our schedule, in relationships, so that everything does not feel so packed and full. Yes. Agreed. So scheduling-wise, when I think back to grad school, we did so much stuff. We traveled a lot of weekends to play Ultimate Frisbee or to see friends or to go to weddings. We went out to bars and restaurants many nights of the week, at least two, but maybe more. And I definitely have felt a craving for more simplicity schedule-wise in my more recent adult life, though for me it preceded children. Hmm. I think I've talked about it on the pod before, but 2014 is the first time that I made myself a calendar reminder for the end of October not to overschedule things for the next two months. I love that. And the first year it didn't work. It was too late. (laughs) The end of October I had already scheduled tons of stuff to do Mm -hmm. and committed to too many things too far in advance. So the next year I made the calendar reminder for the end of July so I wouldn't commit to things in summer when things still feel amazing Mm -hmm. and open. There's really lots of daylight and you feel like you have so much time. But for me, it's so seasonal. Like when we get into fall and winter and it gets darker and the days get shorter and it's colder, Mm -hmm. I really don't like having lots of stuff going on right now. And I have kept that mindset since then. And really, it only feels better when you add more people to your life in terms of kids. Do you find that the reminder in July is enough for you to continue to remember that as invitations are coming up over the next few months? I did not even do the reminder this year. Like it didn't happen in my calendar. I think I'm now, Mm -hmm. I've trained myself in the mindset that doing a lot of things in fall and winter does not feel good to me. I will feel resentful and not be pleasant to be around. And so it's enough to remember that feeling of not feeling like a good parent or a good spouse or a good friend Mm -hmm. from years past that I'm able to do it sort of on my own now. 
that makes sense. How do you think simplifying influences your relationships and your parenting? I think it's always been very important to us to have as few toys and activities as possible in our lives. Mm -hmm. In terms of toys, I have found my kids mostly like to read, play outside, color, and occasionally build with blocks. Everything else is just excess. They'll play with it for a while, especially when it's those open-ended building type toys. Right. But in the winter, we usually have one building toy out, books, and markers. And that's plenty for them that they don't need the other stuff. And I know how it makes me feel on the inside, which is anxious and angry and resentful about our house being a mess. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it makes them feel good either. Even if they're not able to articulate it in the same way I am, I think kids pick up on their environment too, and that having less stuff gives them more freedom to choose and feel that sense of ease that you were talking about. I mean, when I have reorganized Plum's toys and taken things out for buy nothing or whatever, she always plays better on her own after. Yes. Given fewer choices, having that space, kind of like I was talking about before, Mm -hmm. allows her to be better at playing independently and being creative about the sort of play she's doing. Yes. That has been my experience exactly. Where I feel that simplicity comes up most in our parenting, though, is in our schedule and how we have always prioritized not having evening activities really at all. That's changed a little bit recently. And by activities, I just mean socializing with people past the hour of 4 p.m. Like doing anything outside of your house. Yes. In terms of actual schedule and activities, we've just been a hard pass on all of them. HP has done swim lessons in the summer, and that's it. Mm -hmm. It has just never worked for our family as a unit. I felt like the benefits that he would gain are far outweighed by the cost to our family in terms of money and logistics of getting there and back, especially when we had a baby when he was a preschooler and (laughs) factoring in her needs and schedule too. And now that he's in school full time, our schedule feels full with school. Yeah. That from the time he gets out of school until he's in bed is only four hours. And in that time, you have to have dinner and getting ready for bed. Right. So I want to preserve that time as much as possible for unstructured play and for being with us or unstructured time at the park with friends, but not going to soccer practice or gymnastics or a music lesson. Yeah. I know that will likely change as he gets older, but I think even then we will be considering our whole family as we make those choices. And if it's not going to work out for all of us, then we'll pass. I feel so similarly to how you do. We have already talked about on the podcast how few activities I commit Plum and me to during the week. And really, I can't imagine doing any more and probably doing less when the second baby makes their appearance. Yeah. We did just add another morning of preschool for Plum, but that's one instance where I feel like adding something has made the rest of our lives simpler. Mm -hmm. So having that extra morning for me to meet deadlines or do home chores or work on our podcast helps me be more present with her the rest of the time and the rest of the time feels simpler. Totally. In terms of my relationships, I would say my marriage is fairly basic. (laughs) The things we do together are not big and adventurous, but they are working for this stage of our life right now. Most of our shared time looks like being home. Mm -hmm. And that has shifted since graduate school, you know, when a lot more of our stuff was focused on social time outside the house. 
it's interesting hearing you talk about that contrast and how it's evolved because I feel like Neil and I have always been homebodies mm-hmm. and that if anything that we've probably wanted to add more to our schedule mm. and we love just staying home, maybe watching a show, playing a game together or just reading our books in the same room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as to introverts, that's felt good for us. <laughs> nice. So with friendships, my intense desire for simplified schedule in life means that we see friends most often when it's spontaneous or already built into the schedule, like in the case of book club. Right. So the people we see most often are our neighbors and friends who live in walking distance. And it's easy to say, hey, are you doing anything for dinner? Come over for an hour. Mm -hmm. Or hey, let's meet on the sidewalk with our kids and let them do chalk together while we talk to each other. And that kind of spontaneous interaction is where the community building happens. And it's shown to make people happier to have those people that you can just have these casual interactions with, as opposed to needing every detail to be planned in order for it to come to fruition. And I think sometimes relationships wind down a bit because, for me, proximity is so key right now. Yes. And I'm hopeful that that's something that's specific to this season of life and that things will change as our kids grow up and work changes and where and how we live looks different. I found that to be true for our family just being a couple years ahead of where you guys are in terms of kids' ages. Yeah. In the last year, it's really felt like things have opened up and felt more fun. Just like I was talking about with the weekends, feeling easier and like there's more space for all of us to get what we need. Right. Instead of feeling that we need to be sacrificing and everyone's trying to squeeze in what they want and feeling dissatisfied. I will look forward to that time. So let's talk about the holidays specifically. Can you talk about things that you've done in your life and in your family to simplify this time? Yes. We want to make the holidays special for our family, but I also don't want to feel resentment and stress in the name (laughs) of making it magical for our kids. No. (laughs) I do not like decorating. I do not like planning parties. I do not like the process of gift buying. (laughs) Just being totally honest about my strengths and preferences. (laughs) The things that I do like include eating food and not traveling for the actual holiday days. Yes. We have worked really hard to keep gift expectations reasonable for our kids and thinking about how we want to start as we mean to go on, Mm, mm -hmm. as opposed to going overboard and then having them think that will be what's happening every year. Yeah. And that's been hard to get right Last year was the first year where I felt like we nailed it, where everyone was excited about what they got. They had so much fun opening presents, but it didn't feel overwhelming at any point. And Neil really helps me on this because I think I can tend toward the, oh, but we should get something else, or is that going to be enough? And the answer is, yes, it is enough. It's plenty. Yes. The only gift we got E outside of stockings was a $15 stuffed cat. And she talked about it for six months. In her preschool, they have sharing time every day. And for months, every day, she said, I got a kitty for Christmas. (laughs) I love it. I'm not sure she understood the concept about sharing something new that happened, but it really validated Neil's instinct to just say, this is what she wanted. We're getting her what she wanted. And that's plenty. That's so good. We've also tried to create traditions that feel sustainable. For example, I do not do a Christmas dinner with all the trimmings Mm -mm. on Christmas Day or ever. (laughs) (laughs) 
We do enchiladas where I can make it the day before. And that way, when we're hanging out in the afternoon, it's easy to put in the oven, do rice in the Instant Pot, and call it a day. Plus, enchiladas are one of the most delicious foods there ever was. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) A new tradition we're trying to incorporate is attending a play as a family, which turned out to be a flop last year, but we're still giving it a go again this year. And we're just going to keep on trying it. This is just somewhere in the season you do that? Yes. So here there's a holiday play that's put on by the local theater company that's always a musical. Mm -hmm. And it's family friendly. Last year it was Peter Pan. And this year it's Beauty and the Beast. Nice. And I like the idea of having those things that aren't related to gifts or making something, but just spending time together as a family. And kind of a special thing that you don't usually do. Exactly. Overall, I've been feeling really good about where we are with the holidays and hoping it continues to feel not too stressful and mostly fun for all parties. How are you guys thinking about simplifying when it comes to the holidays? I'm really excited because we're not traveling for Thanksgiving this year and we never travel in advance of Christmas, kind of like you. We tend to see family after the Christmas holiday, sort of in between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. It really feels amazing. It feels glorious that that is not on the schedule. And we're really lucky because we have loved ones coming in to see us sort of over the month of November. And I'm really thankful to them for being willing to travel so that we still get that special time, but that we don't have to do all the logistics of traveling with a (laughs) two-year-old. So specific to the holidays, we have traditions too important to us, but like yours, they're fairly basic and revolve around food. (laughs) That's why we're friends. Yeah. (laughs) We do like to do gifts, but I'm thinking carefully about that this year, inspired by you, but also inspired by thinking about adding another person to the family and having Mm. them and their stuff here in the spring. Also, that same kind of stuff that I've noticed with Plum, where she plays with a few things. Mm-hmm. And I can take things out and she doesn't even notice. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't even wonder about it if she never saw it again kind of thing. We have some sort of structures in place already. So for instance, my mom does this thing that I love where rather than giving us really any gifts at Christmas, she just checks in with me about what clothes Plum or Andrew and I need during the year mm. and either buys them herself. She's a very good shopper, especially for Plum, or sends us money for them. Mm-hmm. And that spreads it out over the year. It's things that we need, which is awesome in terms of seasons changing and needing different clothes or in the case of adults, things wearing out. But I don't think that we have figured it out either in our immediate family or in the extended family, you know, who really love to give gifts and love especially to send things to Plum that she plays with for a little bit. And then we just have to store it somewhere in our 800 square feet of living space, which is totally overwhelming to me. Right. This is actually one place I'd love input from our listeners. So how do you simplify gift giving in your family, especially when you have extended family who loves to give gifts for the sake of giving them and that's how they want to show their love? What have you found that has worked for you? And that's a little bit related to this next question, which is, do you have any simplicity goals in your life? So things that you wish Mm. were simpler that you want to be working on. I have a few of those. My dream right now is both kids being at the same school with a single drop-off and pickup time. Mm. That will definitely be coming in the fall of 2019, so less than a year away. Mm -hmm. Until then, I'm managing, but I think about it every day. When I'm doing the double drop off with different pickup times and particularly heading into winter where it just comes with 
its own challenges, biking and having everyone have appropriate gear and thinking all of that through. For things in the house that I wish were simpler, I would include digital photos, which is just a total mess and always on my to-do list, but not ever high enough to make any progress, so they continue to build up. Yeah, I don't even bother to put it on my to-do list because I feel like it's never going to (laughs) happen. I get inspired to put it on my to-do list, but the inspiration never transfers to action. So (laughs) the same thing is true of papers. We don't have a great filing system. Every fall, I go through everything and organize it. But the rest of the year, I literally just pile the papers on top of the little filing box we have (laughs) and don't do anything with them until the next year in which I then go through and file things and recycle and sort through it all. So that's not an amazing system. (laughs) Yeah, for us, that's a box on top of our fridge that I stick all the papers into and then transfer them to the file box in Andrew's closet eventually. Yes. I'd also love to have a few more meals that I can throw together easily, Hmm. especially looking back on October. We spent a lot of money buying food out when we didn't have it together Uh to make a meal at home, even when in many cases it's faster and simpler if you just have something you can go to easily. But I am not good at planning for that eventuality, and I'd like to have a few more meals in my back pocket that we can always pull out without much work. And the last one I'll mention is that I've been trying to simplify my phone usage, inspired by the book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. Mm. And it's been going really well. Nice. My phone now mostly lives in the guest room unless I need it for a specific purpose. One thing that has helped with that is not using it to listen to music and getting CDs from the library. That sounds awesome. I'm hoping that continues to be an area where simplifying is actually happening and not just a dream like the digital photos and papers. (laughs) What areas are you hoping to simplify? I'm mostly thinking about scheduling when I'm thinking about simplifying goals. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty satisfied with our current daytime schedule, but there will be changes with the new baby. And so it'd be nice to see if I can do even more simplifying in advance of that. Mm -hmm. So there is space for another person in there. I'm also thinking a lot about our weekends and weeknights. So right now they're pretty full of stuff. They're not really downtime like I would like them to be. So Andrew and I are working some of the time. We don't have a whole lot of dedicated space for just us or for our family. Something related to that that I just started thinking about this week based on a scheduling conflict that we ran into as a family is that I'm wondering about teaching yoga and childbirth education and whether that's something that I want to do long term mm-hmm. or even just in this season of your life. Yes, exactly. Like you could always come back to it in five years or three years. Yeah, I love that work, but it is such a big time commitment. And it's one of the only reasons we use our car is me getting to those things. Mm hmm. And so I am feeling just kind of medium about the payoff in terms of enjoyment. That makes sense. It also feels like there's not much head or life space for me for yoga already. Hmm. So do I really want to fill it with teaching someone else? Or maybe if I let go of that stuff, then I could make a little more space for my own practice. Mm -hmm. And yoga is such a good way of making space for me anyway in my mind and in my life that that might be something that I am thinking about over the next year or so. Let's close by talking about simplicity and simplifying inspiration. Where do you look for that? 
One of my favorite books, which I know I've mentioned before on the podcast, is Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne. And whenever I need inspiration or just confirmation that what we're doing is right for us, I love turning to that book. I think especially as HP is getting older, there are so many options available to kids and pressure to have your kids participate Mm -hmm. and this sense that they're getting behind or not getting all the opportunities, which is not true, but can feel really true when you're in that environment. Yeah. And this book always helps center me on our family's values and that it's not better or worse than anything else, but that it's a great option for us. Kate from Cohesive Home and Streamlined Motherhood was talking about it was on sale for Kindle. Mm -hmm. And so I just bought it really cheaply. And I am looking forward to reading it because I think especially with adding another kid and with Plum having more of those kind of opportunities, I think you can sort of start things like sports and stuff at three. Yes. That we haven't had the option for yet. I think that's going to be a really good read for me in the next few months. I will say it can be a little woo woo and to be prepared for that. I don't mind woo woo. (laughs) I don't either. But just as a warning to anyone for whom that might be a (laughs) turnoff. Fair enough. For audio, we have talked about Cohesive Home and The Minimalist Moms before, and I think those are great if you're looking for inspiration. Cohesive Home tends to focus more on the big picture values and how to hone in on that and then take action from that place. Mm -hmm. And I think The Minimalist Moms has a lot of practical advice about specific areas of minimalism. For families, Joshua Becker has great resources, which was really nice for me to find after reading several minimalist accounts from single folks, (laughs) which was inspirational in terms of getting rid of our stuff. But when you have kids, there's just a certain amount of stuff that comes with human beings living in the same place. Yeah. And I got to a point where it was frustrating because I would think, well, let's sell everything and live in a tiny home. It's like, well, that's not exactly the place (laughs) that we're in right now. And I know some families do that, but... That isn't going to work for us in this stage of life. So it's great to hear from people taking these values and ideas and applying them to family life. For me, Small Notebook is a blog that's not current anymore, but she has great ideas in there for lots of simplifying from home stuff to life stuff. And her archives are really easy to search or to just read back through. And then the book Clear Your Clutter with Feng Shui by Karen Kingston is one that I'm sure I have mentioned before. But this book was one that I read first in grad school. And I think that that was maybe one of the turning points for me in terms of minimalism and simplicity in my life. And she talks mostly about stuff in that book because it's about your physical space. Mm -hmm. But then she also has a section about clearing clutter from your body. So she talks a lot about your colon. Okay. Which was strangely inspirational (laughs) at the time. And then the last resource that I'll say is the episode that we did, which was one of our first few episodes about minimalism. And we'll link to that in the show notes because we have other great resources that we talk about in there and probably some of the same ones that we've mentioned today. That brings our conversation about simplicity and simplifying to a close for today. Listeners, as always, we'd love to hear from you about how simplicity looks in your life and how you are making it work better. Let's talk now about what we've been eating. I don't have a specific food to share, but I wanted to talk a little bit about how eating and feeding my people has looked lately in my life. Mm -hmm. With being pregnant, I was very sick, super nauseated, taking medication, throwing up quite a bit. 
through about week 15 of my pregnancy. That's so long. It seems to be how my body makes babies, so I was kind of expecting it. But it also is no fun to not enjoy food when I typically do so much. Yes. And you have to be making it for Plum. You can't completely... Stop feeding my (laughs) two-year-old. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So that was something that was really tricky. And just when I started to feel better, we got a head cold in our family. So Mm. Plum brought something home from preschool like they do. So she had this upper respiratory crud and then I got it. Actually threw up some more because my gag reflex is still Mm. heightened. So the phlegm was a situation. But we are finally through that now. I am looking forward today to actually making a meal plan for the first time in a few months doing some grocery shopping, in part to replenish some of the things I had to throw away (laughs) from the moths. moths. (laughs) So I hope to have something delicious to report next time. I'm glad to hear that you're feeling able to turn back towards food again. Me too, because I missed food. (laughs) Sarah, what have you been eating? So we've been eating a lot of cookies. Yes. You talked many episodes ago about the Pinch of Yum best chocolate chip cookies. Which are still the best. (laughs) They are. They're the only cookies our family makes now, and we make them quite often. But I was feeling like maybe our new listeners did not know about this recipe, and we should reinform them. Yes. And I'll share it with a twist, which is I've been adding cocoa powder to replace a small amount of the flour. And so instead of just regular chocolate chip cookies, they're chocolate chocolate chip cookies. Which I'm not sure anyone else in my family is as excited about as I am. Mm. I think they might prefer the original. But when I'm making the cookies, I can make them how I like them. You get to choose. (laughs) Yes. And they are just as amazing as the original, if not more so. How much cocoa powder do you put in? I did it with a quarter cup the last time. Okay. And in the recipe, she talks about the right consistency and what that looks like. Yes. Sometimes the flour varies anyway in that recipe. Yes. So I start with the one cup of flour, add the cocoa powder, and then continue adding small amounts of flour until it seems right. Nice. Because if there's too much flour, the cookies are not the best soft chocolate chip cookies anymore. It's true. They become average chocolate chip cookies. The key is to not overbake and to not add too much flour. And to not add too little flour because then they spread out and are not like the perfect cookie shape. Yes. It's a fine line to walk. Takes many, many batches to perfect, which we have done. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, even if you don't get the flour exactly right, they're still really, really good. Agreed. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. If you'd like to join the conversation or offer suggestions for future topics, you can find us online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. So I'm feel uh, yeah blah, blah, blah. okay let me say it again <laughs> I'm gonna do a wrap up sentence and then hand it to you <laughs> sounds great I can hear the typing so just start over sorry I'm starting over anyway because I said it like okay great okay. <laughs>